seats. But that's okay. All right, all right, cool. Focus up. Everybody good? Everybody good? Everybody good? Good to see everybody. Sweet. Sweet. Okay. Um, cool. It's good to see everyone. We're glad you guys are here. We're we recording. We're good to go. Sweet. Okay. Um, yeah. Almost there, baby. Thanksgiving break. Coming up. Coming up. Coming up. Be strong. Be strong. Be strong. We're almost there. We will get through this. We will get through this. It's going to be it's going to be a tough fight, but we will get through this. Um, cool. All right. So, uh, two weeks ago, no, no, no. Last week, we talked about politics, and it was so awesome. Uh, it went so well. But I was, before that, though, I had read an article that really, like, I was really interested in, and I really wanted to teach it to you guys, and I was going to teach that last week. But I got so ramped up about politics and what's going on in the world that I had to preach about that. So now this week, we're going to talk about the article that I was supposed to talk about last week. Does that make sense? Cool? We're all on the same page? Sweet. So here's what the article is about. If you have a Bible on your phone or your Bible app or whatever, swipe or turn to Mark chapter 10. And we're not going to read it yet, but Mark chapter 10, okay? Be ready. Mark chapter 10. So here's what this talk is about. 13 days ago... On Thursday, November 3rd, BBC News... Oh, I was like, what? Okay, yeah, it is. that's great. It was, it was, it was. On Thursday, November 3rd, well, unfortunately, on Thursday, November 3rd, BBC News reported that the Bishop of Oxford in England has come out in support of same-sex marriage, okay? So, now, this is the highest-ranking member of the Church of England so far who has... Uh, said that the church should bless and marry gay couples, okay? Not the highest-ranking member of the Church of England, but the highest-ranking member of the Church of England so far who said that the church should bless and marry gay um, couples. Now, here's what I'm going to say. This is not a sermon on same-sex marriage, though we have talked about that before, and we will again. If you're interested in a sermon on same-sex marriage, I would recommend checking out the sermon on the PVN Students podcast from August 31st, just a couple months ago entitled Same-Sex Marriage, okay? All right, if you're interested, that's what I would recommend. But tonight's sermon is about something else, okay? The Bishop of Oxford is a high-ranking member in the Church of England, okay? He, like, wears the thing. You know he's a pastor, okay? He is well-studied. He is well-read. His job is to serve the church and to serve the Bible, the Word of God, okay? And here's why this is important. The Church of England is considered the original church of what's called Anglicanism, all right? Oh, cool. Just hang with me. There's not going to be a quiz. Just relax. Anglicanism springs from the Protestant Reformation in England, okay, when Thomas Cranmer, an English Catholic heavily influenced by Martin Luther, wanted to reform or fix the Catholic Church in England. In other words, in other words, Cranmer saw the Bible and saw the culture, and said, these two things don't match up. And rather than change the Bible to fit the culture, he stuck with the Bible, and out of that, Anglicanism was born. Does that make sense? Out of this belief that the Word of God is more important than the culture. Now, 700 years later, look at how things have changed. 
In this BBC article, so what are we talking about? I'm getting there. Just hang with me. In this BBC article, the, the Bishop of Oxford, Dr. Stephen Croft, he talks about his journey that led him to accept same-sex marriage in the Anglican Church. Okay, what, what led him to accept this as okay? Here is what he said, um, and we'll get to the quotes here in just a second. I got one more paragraph. Sorry, Brad guy. The bishop's journey, and this is why this is important. All right, so why are we talking about this? What's Anglican? What's going on? Here's why I'm talking to you about this, okay? Ready? Here we go. The bishop's journey follows a familiar path that our culture will want you to walk down, okay? The reason the bishop has accepted this is okay in the church is because of a cultural path that he has walked down, that the culture will now want you to walk down, okay? When asked why, why did you change your mind when it comes to same-sex marriage in the church, these are some things that he said. You can put it up now, Brad Guy. These are some things that he said, and I want you to pay attention because I'm going to ask you a question or two. So these are his quotes, Stephen Croft. Why, is, why was same-sex marriage not okay in the church, and now you think it should be? Here's his reasoning. I need to, bless you, I need to acknowledge the acute pain and distress of LGBTQ plus people in the life of the church. I am sorry that corporately we have been so slow as a church to reach better decisions and practice on these matters. I am sorry that my own views were slow to change and that my action and lack of action have caused genuine hurt disagreement, and pain. You can just leave them up there. So I don't necessarily disagree with some of these quotes, but now help me out. And let's just see if we can guess. I'll, get, I'll go Brock first, but I'll, get, I'll ask other people too. And this is, this, is not a, uh, this is not a trick question. So Brock, of everything you see up here, and this is a pastor. He's a bishop, so he's a pastor. In his reasoning for understanding this, why he's allowing same-sex marriage into the church. What is not up here? Yeah, that's literally the perfect answer. Let's give it up for Brock one time. That was great. There is no, there is, shh, I'm just kidding. No, there is no biblical reasoning up here. Jesus and the Bible are not mentioned at all in his reasoning. Does that make sense? His acceptance of same-sex marriage is not based on any finding in Scripture. Do you see this? His acceptance is not based on any finding in Scripture. In the entire article, he never refers to the Bible. There is no new finding in Scripture that has influenced what he has found. So, so what has? If Scripture is not his guiding... This is, again, this is where it's not about same-sex marriage. You can replace it with anything you want. This is the point. If Scripture is not influencing his decision-making, then what is? You follow that? Then what is the thing that's influencing his opinion? In the article, he quotes and refers to love, respect, pain, distress. All these things as his reasons for change. And then this is in the article that I read. The bishop's response is mainly emotional and is governed by the impact of the church on the feelings of other people. 
Let me read it again and I'll explain it. The bishop's response is primarily emotional, primarily emotional, and is governed by the impact of the church on the feelings of other people. His response is governed by the driving force of his decision is not Jesus' teachings, but how those teachings make people feel. The governing force behind his decision-making is not the teachings of Jesus, but how those teachings make people feel. And guys, this is why I bring this up. Look at the quotes again. Look at the quotes again. I need to acknowledge the acute pain and distress of LGBTQ plus people in the life of the church. I'm sorry that corporately we've been so slow as a church to reach better decisions and practice on these matters. I'm sorry that my own views were slow to change and that my actions or lack of action have caused genuine hurt, disagreement, and pain. Nowhere in his defense for this decision... As a pastor, nowhere in his defense is the teaching of the Bible. His sole focus is on how the Bible has made people feel. So often in your life, you will take truths that you have always believed in your life as a church kid, and then you'll get out of church or you'll go to college or whatever, and you'll share this truth with someone and they'll say, well, that's really hard, or well, I don't like that. And they'll expect you to bail on that truth because their governing body is not the Bible, but how they feel about it. Do you see what I mean? Now, do we need to be, do we need to teach people with persuasion and love and kindness? Well, yeah, duh. Yeah, of course we do. Should you be kind to people who are of different orientation than you are? Yeah, obviously. Should you invite them here? Yeah, obviously. That, we, we have Gaga Ball. Well, we had Gaga Ball. But that, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. No, it's going to be good. We're going to be fine. We're going to take care of um, But listen. Listen. The culture that you and I are in right now. Listen. The culture that you and I are in right now. The air that you guys breathe on social media and in school every day. The air that you breathe says... That since these teachings are hard to accept, since these teachings make people feel like they are wrong, then we should change them. Since these teachings are hard to accept, since these teachings of the Bible make people feel like they are wrong, then we should change them. Do you know why in medieval times church buildings, some of us are going to go to Europe this summer and we'll see some of these, why church buildings are so big? like Notre Dame and all that stuff, why church buildings are so massive. There are several reasons, but one of the reasons church buildings are so big is because of the truth that the church was pointing to. Think about it. Think about you and your feelings and your life experience and your family and your upbringing and your job and your marriage versus the church building, okay? Versus the church building. You just standing there by yourself. You can be angry at that building, weirdo. You can be sad at that building. You can kick that huge church building. You can yell at that huge church building. But listen, but it will still be there. Your emotional response, your emotions, do not affect the integrity of that building. 
And in the same way, just as that building is too large and powerful and important to change based on how you feel, the truth of what that building stands for is too large and powerful and important to change based on how you feel. The doctrine of our church, the doctrine of the church is not made in response to how people will feel about it. Because truth is bigger and a broader category than just what I feel. Now, this may sound a little bit harsh, okay? This may sound like, well, I guess it sounds like my feelings don't matter. But listen, where did you hear me say that? Where did you hear me say that your feelings don't matter? Saying, now listen, this is so important as you interact with neighbors of yours that maybe are same-sex attracted, or maybe neighbors who don't believe in the Bible, period, and they start to think that their feelings don't matter. Listen, saying that the truth is more important than feelings is not the same as saying your feelings don't matter. Saying that the truth is more important than your feelings is not the same thing as saying your feelings don't matter. Well, I guess God doesn't care about my feelings because he's not changed. Where, where did I say that? Your feelings do matter to God. Your feelings matter more to God than to anyone else on this earth. But his, tr- listen, but his truth is the key to your eternal life, not your feelings about it. His truth is the key to your eternal life, not your feelings about it. So the truth has to come first. Look at Mark 10, 21 to 22. Mark 10, 21 to 22. This is, a, this is like a church kid, like golden hit, right? This is the rich young ruler, okay? The rich young ruler. Now look at and think about this idea of the truth being... Think about your feelings matter to God, but his truth is more important than those feelings, okay? Watch. Mark 10, 21 to 22. This is the rich young ruler. He comes and asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Okay, what must I do? Pretty easy question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, verse 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, Jesus said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this The man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Let's read it one more time and then we'll talk about it. Jesus looked at the man and loved him. One thing you lack, Jesus said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Look at verse 21, which is the first part. But Jesus looked at this man, and Matthew Campbell, what's that next word? Jesus looked at this man, and how did he feel? Verse 21. Nope. Verse 21. Jesus looked at him. What's that underlined portion? You're good. You're working. And he loved him. Good, Matthew. That's good. And you, and you pulled us back in. That was really good. Jesus loves this man. Okay? Look at the underline. Jesus loves this guy. The Bible says it's right there. The Greek word here is love. There's no getting around it. Jesus loves this man. So 
Whatever's about to come out of Jesus' mouth is based in love, is rooted in love. He wants to help him. And he tells him to go and sell everything. Jesus th- now, Jesus does not want this man to become homeless. Becoming homeless doesn't earn Jesus' love. Selling everything doesn't get you Jesus' love. Jesus knows that, be- but here's the thing. Here's why he tells him to do it. Jesus knows that being a Christian is not just about behavior. It's about having no other gods before Jesus. Having no other gods before Jesus. This man says earlier, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He also says, I've kept all your commandments. He is expecting, he's expecting an answer from Jesus that will allow him to keep moving forward without any real change. He's expecting an answer from Jesus that will allow him to just keep moving forward without any real change. Let me keep being comfortable and loving my money and loving Jesus. Let me keep loving my money and loving Jesus. And Jesus says, in love, you can't. You can't do that. A heart that is split between me and anything else is a heart that does not worship me. A heart that is split between me and anything else doesn't worship me. A heart that loves me and still wants to live in the way you want to live with the same giving in to all your same desires, that's not a heart that worships me. And it says right there in 21, Jesus loves this man. He sees this man as genuinely trying to follow him. He wants to help, so he tells him how. And this is the man's response in verse 22. At the last sentence, at this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. This word for sad in Greek is grieving. He's heartbroken about what's happening. Listen to what this article says. And this is where it comes to play. There's an interesting dynamic at play here. Jesus loves this young man. And yet his truth makes the young man sad, and Jesus doesn't do anything to stop it. Now listen again. Jesus loves this young man, yet his truth makes the young man sad, and Jesus does nothing to stop that sadness. This is a different approach to what the Bishop of Oxford did, who seems to change his doctrine to stop people from being sad. Jesus loves this man, but he will not do that. Now, there are only two possibilities here. Either the bishop, who did change his doctrine, either the bishop loves people more than Jesus does, or love has more to it than just being happy or sad. Either the bishop loves people more than Jesus does, because he didn't want them to be sad, or love has more to it than just whether or not we're happy or sad. My parents were great parents, and they still are. Skip and Celia are just magnificent. They're wonderful parents. And one of the things that made them so great was that they cared a lot about my feelings. They do. They care a lot about how, listen, they care a lot about how I feel. But when it came to matters of right and wrong, how I felt about it being right or wrong was secondary. It wasn't unimportant. They never said, your feelings don't matter. Remember, Jesus loved this man. 
My feelings matter to my parents more than anything except what the Bible taught. Practicing, and you guys have to understand as Christians, practicing the truth in love will make other people sad sometimes if they do not want the love or truth that you have. Practicing the truth in love will make other people in your life sad sometimes if they don't want the truth and love that you have. And listen, look right at me. That is not your fault. That is not your fault. When you love people in truth and they still don't like it, you're not doing anything wrong. You're doing what Jesus did. You're doing what Jesus did. Well, I guess Jesus doesn't care how I feel. Again, where do you hear me saying that? Where do you see the Bible saying that? Jesus will not change based on how we feel. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't care how you feel. The only reason he will not change, the only reason he will not change the truth based on your feelings is because he doesn't love your feelings, he loves you. The only reason Jesus will not change the truth based on your feelings is because he doesn't love your feelings, he loves you. I had, uh, when I grew up in Calhoun, we lived on this road called McDaniel Station. If If you go to Bucky's from Rome, you cross that big bridge thing, McDaniel Station is the road that goes under it. You actually see my old house from there, fun fact. And McDaniel Station Road is kind of like Old Somerville in that it's really easy, not any of you guys, of course, but it's really easy for people to fly down Old Somerville, like 55, like 65, or whatever. Same with McDaniel Station, okay? And I was like five years old, and my mom was like, don't go into the road. And being the good Christian kid that I was, I was like, oh, okay. And I went into the road, okay? And Celia was not pleased. And she tore me, oh my gosh, I got the spanking of my life. I got like the yelled at, like, go to your room of my life. And imagine me looking at my mom, being like, Mom, hold on, Celia. When you yelled at me for running into the road at cars going 65 miles an hour, that really hurt my feelings. That really did. It hurt my feelings. And I can just see my mom saying, well, I'd rather your feelings be hurt than you be hurt. Do you see what I'm saying? I'd rather your feelings be hurt then you be hurt. Jesus' truth, listen, Jesus' truth is the key to you having eternal life, not your feelings about it. Jesus' truth is the key to you having eternal life, not your feelings about it. And if that's true, then the truth doesn't need to change to fit us. We need to change our lives, mold our lives around the truth. Trying to take something that's not true and changing it so that it is true is not true or loving. And for so many of you guys, I just wonder if there are truths in the Bible that you don't agree with or that you don't like, I would challenge you, and I would challenge your friends too, to ask yourself, is the reason you're not on board with this truth Because of something in the Bible that you found that doesn't add up? Or at its root, are you really just looking for a way out? At its root, are you really just looking at what's 
in the Bible saying, I don't like this, and turning your back on it. Because if that's the case, if that's the case, then that's some, both of those things are things we can talk about, but it's important for us to understand where we're really coming from. Is there really an argument in Scripture that you can't get past, or is it just something that you don't like? And with your friends that you hang out with, are there really things going on in Scripture that they say, oh, well, I mean, I hear you, but based on Ezekiel 41, I just can't see, like, is that really what they're saying? In which case, let's talk. Or is it really, I don't like what the Bible teaches on same-sex marriage, okay? Why? Well, because I don't think a loving God would do, okay, show me in the Bible where you see this. Show me in the text where you see this. Because that has to be the driving force for our lives. What the text says, what the Bible teaches.